Lindsay Barra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. This is part two of our conversation with Akwasi Frimpong, who in 2018 became the first black male Olympian to compete in skeleton and only the second athlete ever to represent Ghana in the Winter Games. Akwasi was born in Ghana, but moved to the Netherlands when he was eight years old. It was there that he started sprinting, becoming a junior national champion in the 200 meters and just missing the 2012 Olympics. He switched to bobsled and just missed the 2014 Olympics. But with skeleton, the third time was the charm, and Akwasi realized his Olympic dream. His goal was to medal in this year's Olympics in Beijing, but a positive COVID test sidelined him for the final three qualifying races, causing him to miss the Olympic cut. But at age 35, Akwasi says he's in the best shape of his life and has moved his focus to the 2026 Olympics in Italy to achieve his goal of becoming the first athlete born in Africa to medal in the Winter Games. So (laughs) I've Googled you and I've checked your Instagram. I see you running. I see you on the Airdyne bike. You're doing tons of barbell stuff, power clean, snatches, squats, trap bar deadlifts. You're running stairs. You run with resistance bands on your legs. You're doing all kinds of explosive single-legged stuff. I saw you jumping over the seats in an arena somewhere. In Russia. (laughs) In Russia, yeah. So what are your goals in general for your workouts when you're in the midst of a skeleton season? I'm in the middle of that. It's really all about explosiveness and powering quick off, off the blocks, but also a lot about stride length. So because in skeleton, sometimes in running, we kind of use little steps. I mean, obviously your coach always trying to make you open up, but in skeleton, it's so important to open up your strides. Why? Because a lot of people don't know that the first 15 meters, when you take off the blocks, the clock doesn't begin yet. Like mm-hmm. we rush off the blocks very quickly, but you have to have some power steps because after 15 meters or so, when the when it starts to go down the crest, as we call it, that's when the clock goes. But you have to put yourself in the position with power and stride and length to be able to get to that 15 meters so you can carry that speed as you build. Like in track and field where the first 30 meters, you see the athletes like more low and then yes. they kind of go up kind of the same in skeleton. So my goal is to be able to have that stride length, especially being a shorter athlete, 5'8". Some of these athletes are much taller and have longer legs. And so even though they are not as fast as you in sprinting, they can use their stride length and their arms, you know, because the skeleton, if they can have a length, longer arms, they have more room for their knees to move under them. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, again, it's the stride length, the power and the explosiveness of the block and to be able to keep up with that speed. So what do your workouts look like? How long are they and, and how are they structured? I've kind of changed up a little bit, especially training with the Russian team. You know, I used to do all kinds of workouts with my coaches just to, uh, to stay fit, to be fast. But, you know, when I was coaching, when I was coached by the Russian team this past season, or at least I went in a camp 10 weeks there, is that they do everything really skeleton specific to push fast, like with bands and jumping and, you know, a lot of that, those kind of movements. So my workouts now, it's more like, I train every day except Sunday, some days twice a day. And during the season, you do sliding and lifting or running. So in the season itself, I'll make sure to do after every sliding session, at least either a day of uh, sprinting or a day of, uh, of lifting. So that's really the combination, obviously in between jumps and things like that. So I train every day, five times a week, sometimes six, seven times, you know, a couple of times, uh, twice a day and keeping that you got to keep moving. You know, one of the things the Russian coach told me, especially for me, is like, you have to keep 
running, like jogging, moving, because it's so important that your legs have to keep up with that, especially once you start getting on the stack because it goes so quickly. I imagine that you do a lot of this running, the just the jogging type stuff to recover from those super explosive bouts of movement as well, no? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just super important as well. There's some days that, you know, it's strictly just, I'll go and I'll just do a 10 minutes run and stretch and, and use a foam roller. And, you know, so th- there's, you have to have recovery days in there as well. Otherwise you're not going to make it because mm-hmm. the sliding itself, it takes so much out of you. I didn't slide for like two, three weeks because of my COVID situation. I just got back in Park City. And after two days, it's like you haven't trained for like a year and you finally got back in the gym because it's so much G-forces on your body. That, yeah, you told you, right, the recovery is so important. So yeah, sometimes we just be relaxed, jogging, get in the park, set your mind, mind straight and be in an environment where you can breathe a little bit and recover a little bit as well. You seem to like the barbell quite a lot too. What, what does that do for your, your training and your power? You know, the barbell definitely helps with overall, overall, you know, once you have the barbell, you kind of almost training the whole body, even though you, you focus on just the snatch, you focus on just on the clean, you're still using your full body. And I think what it really does is the explosiveness to be able to move weights as quick as possible and to be jumping with it as well. It's also very important. So, and I think it's a quick way to get a lot done quicker with barbells than to be moving a lot of other type of weights because in this season, we don't have much time, Lindsay. We have very short time to do sled work to be able to slide and to be able to go lift. So you have to find workouts that you can do that is effective, explosive, but also short. So you're not in the gym, like, you know, three, four hours because you don't have time for that. Do you still love to run or is it purely a vehicle to move that sled nowadays? I think if you ask me what's my favorite sport, it will still be running, it will still be okay. sprinting. If you ask me, because that's what I enjoy doing the most, that's where I was a champion in. And I use running now and my strength and everything in the skeleton sport, which I love dearly, especially when it goes right, when it goes, when you do, when you get better at it. But running is still my favorite thing to do. And, you know, sometimes I still think in my head, I'm a sprint, which I'm not. And that causes injuries. So, yeah. yeah. I ask this to all the athletes I have on my podcast. We all have those exercises that we like to do all the time. For you, you like to run. You're always wanting to run. What are the exercises that you love to hate? The ones that you can't stand doing, but you do them anyway because you know they're good for you. Stairs workout, jumping, because obviously it causes a lot of injuries if you don't do it correctly. So jumping days, it takes a lot out of you, obviously. Uh, A lot of effort. I definitely say stairs workouts. You can be in the, sh- the best shape of your life, a stairs workout. I don't care how much conditioning you have as an athlete, how strong you are. Once you start doing stairs workout, it's just a whole different workout. It's, it's, it's like, so it's a whole thing you have to get into. Obviously, I like the short runs. When I have to do the long ones, they are, they are definitely hard. Anything more than 200 meters, I think that's why God, <laughs> God created a bicycle, a plane, a car. So anything after 200 meters can be a little bit hard. Luckily, I don't have to do many of that because of my sports now. I do them in the early season to, like I said, recovery to make sure that I don't get as much injuries. So yeah, I'll say the jumping days and the stairs days are definitely the least favorite, but they are very important as well. You've had some injuries recently. You've had some calf and hamstring stuff. I think you had an Achilles. How has that impacted your training? <laughs> I've been an athlete since I was 15 years old and lazy, to be honest, I've never in my life had so many injuries at the same time. It was really bad. It all happened in April and I had new coaches. So I think that was also part of it, new workouts, new way of training as well. I think that was all part of it, but I think the recovery wasn't good. But according to my doctor, when he looks at all my images, I was getting 
too strong. <laughs> it's like, it's like your body would get your muscles. It looks like you're tearing your muscles so much because you're, you're so, cause I can handle a lot of weight and things like that, but they are not always as effective. So I had exactly, like you said, I tore my hamstring four times and each time I tore it in, in the course of four months was not just one spot. It was always the membrane and the different parts. Like it was a three different parts, three different muscles, four times tore both of my calf, tore my right glute, my Achilles injuries from years ago all came back and both of my legs all came back. I was really walking around like in glass um, each time I had to go to workout. So that was very hard for me. Mentally, it was hard for me. Physically, it was hard for me. And obviously, you were training for the Olympic Games. This is the offseason for the Olympic Games. So it makes you stressed out quite a bit because you have to have a program set up to lead into the Olympic Games. And as you cannot keep up with the workouts, it's really devastating because you start doubting yourself and you start doubting, what, is it going to be all right? Everything going to be all right? And I was able to pull myself together to have the right people around me. I got a new dietitian then because I'd never really had one. So I had to call one up and look Google up and found one to help me and um, sleep better, trying to put my phone away. And you know, I had to make a lot of changes, not only physically, but also in my surrounding to be able to get back healthy as quick as possible. You see that a lot with power athletes. Like I covered baseball for a long time and these guys get so big and strong during the off season that once they get to the season and they're hitting again and they generate so much power from the ground up that their little tiny muscles and their connective tissue can't absorb the power and they're rupturing hamstrings and oblique muscles, a lot of groin, that kind of stuff, the, the smaller muscles. It sounds like you were having a similar scenario. Absolutely. And, and like I said, I didn't know until my sports doctor took all these images. It's like, you know, they don't look really bad, but it, uh, you feel a lot of pain, but it's because you've been tearing so many muscles and stuff like so what It's what we typically see when athletes are gaining muscles and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And for me, obviously genetics, I can handle a lot, you know, when it comes to training, like I was always the guy that could train really hard, but then I wasn't as I didn't do well in competition. Exactly. Like you said, because I did so much in the off season or work so hard in training, which is not a bad thing, but you got to also be smart about it, that I wasn't able to really execute in, in competition. So I had to make changes. You know, one of the coaches that I had from Austria told me, he's like, you already find like you had to train the hardware, you know, it's like, like you got to train these little things. You don't need more power. You don't need more. Like you got to train these little things to be able to keep you fit and to keep you going longer during the season, because you already like, you already have enough power, you have enough strength. And so we had to change that up quite a bit. And I think, like I said, being in Russia definitely helped with how they were training skeleton specific, as I call it with the jumps, with, with the power cleans as well, uh, with the barbell. But a lot of quick movement, like sometimes with the barbell with no weight on it and like just moving the barbell very quickly, things like that definitely helped me to be able to have a little bit of both and not just just only the strength part where I end up getting much more injured. We talked a little bit about recovery and with how much you travel, you're obviously not always near like a cold tub or an infrared sauna or something. Do you have any favorite recovery tools that you travel with? with? Are you like addicted to the foam roller or the massage gun or I mean, what, what do you use? Yeah. So I think one of the things that have helped me a lot, Lindsay, another thing I learned so much about myself this season, and I think that's really going to help me moving forward. And I think all these injuries were so bad for me, but I think it really made me learn a lot about my body, what my body needs and not just what everybody needs. So to get back to your question, 
I do have a small a ball, a vibration type of ball that has like heat and I can't forget what the name, but I can look it up for you. But it's super tiny, so you can travel with it, right? You can, it's like a roller, but at the same time, also the vibration, the heat as well. I have that with me. But one of the things that I love using was the recovery booth. And I traveled with that. And I, in my first year, I didn't use it because I was like, it's so much weight because I traveled with so much equipment. I was like, it's so much weight. But then I realized that that was much more important than taking that extra shoe with me, right? So mm-hmm. that recovery booth, I love it because how I was using it, it's 15 minutes. Before I go to training, I'll use for 15 minutes. Obviously, it's the booth that um, gives you that uh, blood flow. The Normatec boots? Yeah, the Normatec. There's just a different brand called Recovery Booth, right? Yes. And, okay. uh, and so basically, yes, that Normatec booth. And what the way I found that works for me personally is before every training, I'll use at least 15 minutes on like on, on 50, 60% of the strength of it so that it warms up my body a little bit. It kind of gets things moving a little bit easier for me so that when I do go do my warm up, it's much easier for me because I'm also not 20 or 18 anymore, right? <laughs> then I make sure after training, I use it for the max 20 minutes but I put it to the max. So that's how I was using it daily. And that helped up a lot because it really made me in training, I could recover fast, but also to warm up faster as well to get the muscle moving without having to work too hard for it. Other thing too, that I, I discovered that I, I took with me that my wife got me was it's the thing that we use in college is uh, how do you call it? STEM, STEM. STEM, STEM. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, yeah. I bought a special one that it was miraculous for me that I would use it because once I start feeling like a muscle pool or I start feeling certain injuries, I will put it on me for like sometimes for hours, but mostly for max 45 minutes to an hour. And it has different settings. You can use like it as an acupuncture, like the settings gives you different more in your body, like how it moves. And so I had like 10 different settings on it. I will use the setting that has a little bit of everything, like a time, time massage, acupuncture, like it's all together. And I'll, put that on muscles, like especially my hamstring muscles, the, the muscles that I was pulling a lot of my calf muscles, things like that. And it really helped me a lot. And it, especially my hamstring, it made my injuries go heal up much quicker. So that was like my to-go-to. I'm actually going to use it today because my mm. left hamstring is bugging me. So that red small ball, it's a new thing that I think in Utah they created. And like I said, it has a vibration, the heat. And then that that normal tech type of boot. Those are the three things that I took with me all season. And I think it definitely helped make a difference. That's the recovery part of it. And then obviously supplements. I started to add, and obviously the zinc with magnesium and not just the magnesium, because according to one coach, too much magnesium wasn't good for me. And I didn't know much about that. So the combination of like zinc with magnesium and vitamin D and all that type of stuff Mm -hmm. definitely helped me a lot. Um, I'm sponsored by a company. I'm not going to say the name that gives me a lot of products because I'm not here to promote that on the show. You can if you want. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, okay. I work with a company that has supported me dearly, like really huge called Forever Living. Forever Living Products International, they are in Arizona and they have a lot of good products the omega-3, the vitamin D and vitamin C and all kinds of different things that really help me as an athlete that I use every single day, as well as their energy bar as well that has, it's not just any energy bar, it has a lot of vitamins in it. So that really made a difference for me as well. So I came back from being a, a track and field athlete that was just running strong, fast, don't care about recovery as much. I mean, I stretch after kind of sometimes, you know, after training, you're done, you warm up, but you're never really done the cool down. I really had to like get more professional as I'm getting older and, and smarter and more mature to put things together and try different things out that I think that has been helping me. And I hope to pass that on to other athletes as in your show, obviously, as well to help other upcoming athletes or, you know, or current athletes. 
I do want to go back to the stim thing really quickly because I've tried a lot of those things and these type devices, there's many of them on the market. I'll, Mark I'll, Pro, I'll grab one I'll yeah. grab one now if you want me to grab it. <laughs> no, that's okay. But Mark okay. Pro, Firefly, PowerDot, there's so many, but it, it produces this uh just for the folks who don't know, it's like a non-fatiguing muscle contraction that basically pumps out inflammation, gets the bad stuff out and the good stuff in so your body can heal itself. And that's what he's it seems like it would work great for your hamstrings actually. Yeah, it's it's it, I'm, I never thought it would work because in college Back in the day when I was in college uh, with track and field, the trainers had nothing. All they had is ice and steam. I, and I hated it. It was like every time you get any injury, ice and steam, ice and steam, ice and steam. And I, it was just so annoying. Um, yeah, it's but, a bit different now. The frequency of the stim with those, it's a little different than it was. Because yeah. I'm, I'm 10 years older than you. And when I was in college, the ice and stim well, was you, way different. It's like antique ice and stim. You don't look, you don't look 10 years older, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you got a dietitian. What does a day of eating look like for you now? So obviously the, the, one of the biggest things that I learned from her is obviously everybody has a different plan, you know, their body, what they need and stuff like that. But I think the biggest thing that I took out of with her support and her help was balanced eating, like balanced plate, as she calls it, you know, having a little bit of the fruit, a little bit of the vegetables, a little bit of the carbs, a little bit of the, you know, a little bit of everything. So for me in the morning, when I wake up, obviously besides having my supplements and all that, I will have, obviously I'll have either an oatmeal with banana and uh, peanut butter. That's an example or eggs with, you know, or shake something enough to carbs as well. Making sure I have some carbs to, you know, as I go into train, not too many fatty stuff because some people do the sausage and all that kind of stuff and the bacon, it's all fine, but then you don't, it doesn't really help in training. So that's something that I learned. So again, in the morning breakfast, like eggs, fruit, and then, or obviously if I'm lazy, I'll do the quick oatmeal with bananas cutting it. So at least I feel like I have some fruit, but I also have some peanut butter, so some protein, some carbs. It's kind of my morning to go to. And um, in the afternoon, when I come, if we don't have leftovers in the afternoon, I'll make like a, a salad with like chicken, you know, I'll cut up some chicken and I'll have, you know, some salad in it. Uh, sometimes I'll put some tortilla chips in it to get some flavor out of it. I'll have like couscous or like, uh, we like to have couscous. We, we love eating salmon in our house. I don't really get eat as much meat um, since uh, 2019. I'm not a vegetarian and I, you know, I eat it here and there because I like the taste, but I've gone more to fish and chicken and things like that as being more the thing that I eat. So my lunch is almost the same as dinner, but smaller uh, portion. And obviously the recovery shake after workouts, you know, if I, within the first 30 minutes, have my bar, my protein bar or a protein shake or the quick chocolate milk type of stuff. That's within the 30 minutes, but within 60 minutes, I try to make sure that I have a full lunch, obviously. And dinner, like I said, we do a lot of fish, a lot of uh, salmon, a lot of uh, shrimps and couscous, like I said. We love these rice things that we get at Walmart. It has a little bit of flavor into it to kind of add that really quick to our salad, to our fish and yeah. stuff like that. We're pretty simple, but we keep it healthy. And we make sure that we have a balanced plate with, again, like I said, always have some form of a fruit, always have some form of vegetables, protein, and carbs. So you're not, you don't follow any like keto, paleo, whatever. You're just more the, I'm going to eat all the things that are good for me kind of guy. Obviously, yes, because I'm not as, I'm going to say skeleton doesn't need that as much as I did when I was a sprinter, but I've come in, in a life where I don't want to be stressed out too much. I try to make sure that my weight is, is where I need to have it and stay on top of it. I make sure that I have the things that give me energy and training, but I don't get too crazy about everything. And just because of my sport or where I am right now in the moment of life, 
to sometimes it can be too stressful to count every ounce, every calorie and everything like that. So maybe I need to get better at that. But as far as what I'm doing right now, it's working for me and my wife is happy because then she eats those things as well. So it's fine. <laughs> and you're, you're also cooking for two kids as well, correct? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so that you got to eat. I mean, I'm sure there's an occasional chicken nugget thrown in there. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes the pizza is there as well uh, when we need it, but I don't eat much pizza. And if I do, it has to be the thin crust Italian style. I don't like the thick ones. And sometimes we'll make our own to keep it healthy. But yeah, we are family try to try to stay as healthy as possible and, and try to eat the things that uh, gives our body fuel. Do you have a favorite pre-race meal? Because you get a little bit nervous on races and stuff like that. So sometimes you don't really want to eat much or you can't eat and stuff like that. But most of our races are likely in the morning. So typically my oh, breakfast okay. type, we don't have many races in the evening, sometimes in the afternoon, but mostly a breakfast type of meal with, um, with recovery stuff in between is, is all you need for our race because they are typically in the mornings. And they're only really like they're over in 70 seconds. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like 60 seconds, but it always takes like two, three hours because, you know, we know it's set up. You have to bring your sled like at least an hour before the race Well, you have to have a warm up an hour before the race. So before you know, and then in between the runs, it's like a, an hour break for the finals. So you are there like three, four hours. So it's important to have things with you like, a meal that you take with you. Like I also have avocado, you know, avocado, some, some good fatty acid stuff, stuff, or like I said, my bar or like a good sandwich and some things in between to be able to eat as well. I'll cook a meal and take it with me a leftover. So you're doing a lot where you'll do a preliminary run and then you sit for an hour and then you'd have to do another super explosive run. So you're also probably constantly moving for those three hours to keep yourself warm in between your runs. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's a sport whereby uh, you put a lot of time and energy and effort into it for that 60 seconds. And, and we haven't even talked about the fact that you're just in the garage polishing those runners, you know, trying to make them look like, you know, diamond paste and all that type of stuff. There's a lot of work that goes into, you know, you're busy like eight hours a day or more just for that 60 seconds. Wow. That's a long day. So you mentioned some thin crust pizza, but do you have a favorite cheat meal? Yeah, well, I'll say cheat candy. Uh, I'm a big M&M and the Mentos fan. Ooh, um, Mentos. Yes. Nobody oh, eats love, Mentos oh, anymore. Oh, oh my <laughs> gosh. It's like, you know, like I'm the guy that will go to the gas station, get the green one and get like the different flavored one. And it's like an addiction or something like that. Like sometimes I'll be just in my bed at the season and when I'm stressed out, I'll just be having like Mentos, you know, like <laughs> I don't know what it does with me. I don't know if it does anything to my brain. I have no idea, but I love the taste and I just like the freshness of it and and m&ms like like right now we have the family size right here and i try to stay off of it during the season but sometimes my wife always said do you feel a little bit sad because then i'll have like chocolate right and i'll get like a snicker or something like that and during the season you know my body kind of craves it when you train so hard so that's the candy side but as far as other cheat meal yes we'll do a wendy or a mcdonald's here and there or um a Chick-fil-A, which has been better. You know, my daughter loves Chick-fil-A um, much better than anything else. So yeah, those are kind of a little bit, it's kind of a quick thing, you know, especially when we travel so much as athletes and you get to like Germany, like midnight, right? Then you drive to the drive-thru and get a quick McDonald's because you have no time to cook or think or anything like that. So you fill your body at least with something, but that's like occasionally it doesn't really happen that often. Do you have any, because you do travel so much, do you have any go-to snacks that you always have in your duffel bag aside from Mentos? Yes. 
<laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll have a lot of um, kind of uh, trail mix, uh, nuts type of stuff. I eat a lot of those. So I feel like they do give you good energy. So I have that with me. Like I said, a lot of different kind of bars, some just for carbs type of bars or some, again, for protein purposes. Those are the easiest thing to shove in your bag as you travel on the plane anyways. And otherwise, stop by at the airport and grab something to eat. You have such an interesting background, having grown up in Ghana and the Netherlands. Do you eat foods from those two countries? Do you, My do wife you cook any yeah. cultural food? I'm not as good in cooking in cooking them as much as like my friends around me cook them and we eat them. It's just like my wife tries to make one of the delicious rice called jollof rice. There's even competition about jollof rice between Nigerians and Ghanaians and other people all over the world. But yeah, I do eat the culture food, especially when I go to the Netherlands uh, with my family. But here in Utah, sometimes my friends will cook and we'll go to my friends to eat the, some of the traditional meals, which I think gives you much, much better power and strength than any other things out there. <laughs> The one time I was in the Netherlands, I came home with a duffel bag that I purchased special when I got to the Netherlands, and it was filled with 30 pounds of cheese. Gouda cheese. Gouda cheese. Gouda cast. <laughs> they asked me at the, at, in the customs, what's in this bag? And I said, cheese. And they said, what else? I said, oh, nothing else. Just cheese. Okay. <laughs> They're so heavy. Yes, yes, yes. Great. Yes, we, uh, yeah, we definitely love our cheese um, still, and we, we definitely have that in our home, too. <laughs> So, so now that you are unfortunately not going to be competing in the Olympics, what are your goals now? When will your next race be? So a lot of journalists, family and friends have been asking what's the next step, what's the next move for, uh, for Frimpong. Everybody thought I would retire. I thought I would retire after 2022. It was kind of a gift to my wife, you know, after taking care of the kids and the babies and the diapers and clean up the dishes all by herself all day, every day in the past six years when I'm gone so much during the winter. It's really tough for us. And financially to be an African slide and always every season fighting for those sponsorships because you're not part of a bigger program where not saying they have it perfect, but better than you have. It's really stressful. Competing is one thing, but also putting it together to be able to compete competitively is very, is very uh, tough. So I wasn't sure if I was going to continue after I was going to make it to these Olympic Games, you know, do well competitively and, and, and be done then. But I learned so much this season. I'm so much more competitive. I know my body better. Even though I'm 35, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm quicker on this sled because I know the technique much better. So it kind of be a waste to quit. So I'm hoping to, I wrote a letter to all my sponsors actually yesterday and, and, and sent them all a letter to see if they will still be willing to support. If they do so, the chance will be big that I'll continue to 2026. So, so I would like to continue if I can keep my sponsors or have the financial support to continue. I think it will be important to show my competitiveness, like a little bit of a redemption. I'm not done yet. And so, yeah, I would love to race. So what will be my next race? That won't be until, you know, October next year. But I what? do have a race coming up actually in two weeks in Utah. It's a regional competition, the USA Western Regionals. So in two weeks, I'm actually be racing here in Park City. So that will actually be fun to see what I can do and put together. So that will be not an IBSF international competition. It will still have an international athlete in it but it will be more Western Regionals, USA Western Regionals. So without, you'll have that race in two weeks and then not another race until the World Cup season starts next fall. Will your off-season training include that skeleton technique stuff or will it be more just general physical preparedness, taking care of your body kind of stuff? Um, all of the above, but definitely the technique. Or the te even right now, as I'm after, when I'm done here in two weeks, they still have sliding sessions going on until uh, second week of March. So for me, it's about testing materials, like testing my run, which one works well in which weather. Like now I have the time to be able to do that because in the season, you get only like six runs in two, three days 
that's like six minutes and then you have to compete. So you never really have enough time to test things. And some of the bigger nation with more athletes have more testing time that they can do. So I will use that opportunity the rest of the season to test my sled and material and also the technique that I've learned as well in training. But in the off season, I have a sled on wheels and I'll use that on the track and uh, like on the track and field tartan basically and, and learn and the technique and also how to dive on it. It's also a whole technique to dive on it because you can lose like a tent just with the diving if you don't do it correctly. And I feel like I have wow. such, I have a lot of improvement to do there. And I have a whole program that I did last season. I'll, you know, really look at it. Like, what do I need to do? What was working? Cause I really made details notes like what was working? How did I feel? I have all those notes. I can go back and look at that and plan a better program for this off season with obviously recovery uh, and obviously with running and weightlifting. Will you watch the skeleton events in this Olympic games? Absolutely. I would love to uh, watch. I've been on the track myself, so I kind of know the, the corners a little bit here and there. And I would love to cheer uh, the athletes out. They're all working hard. They're all representing and their colleagues, their friends. And I'm definitely going to watch and cheer them on. Do you have any tips for people who haven't watched skeleton before? What should they look for? Definitely pay attention to the athletes ahead. If it's coming up too much, if the shoulder's coming up too much, that means there's too much air getting in there. That means they don't have four-point contact. So they're not on four wheels like a car. So then where they can skid around, look at the push technique, uh, the ones that are going like very quick with your feet, very too fast. The time might look, it might, you might think it's fast, but it's actually the one who is actually striding and pacing himself is going to be faster on the, on the sled. And obviously the one who's, who's quiet on the sled and making the right steers, which is hard to see, it's going to have a better time on the bottom. And 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 fun to watch out for the crashes that are going to come out of the the spiral, as in like they have a the one of the corners called the spiral. They call it it's a circle. Some people call it the Kreisel. It's a German call it. It's one of the easiest one in the world, but it, because it's so long, it can be very tricky that some people are going to come out of that corner, which is corner. 10, 11, corner 12 is the Chrysler. And when you come there, people might come out of their back. So <laughs> watch with that. That's so scary. I don't know. Oh, and correction, it's corner 11. After you come out of 10, corner 11 is the spiral. And out of corner 11, the exit, they might come on their side. They might do a scorpion, which is their legs go backwards, which you can do normally if you just normally, if you're not in the skeleton. But with that G-force, you can, a lot of crazy and dance can happen on the summer. <laughs> I can imagine you would come away with a lot of like burns down your back. Like if you come off that sled, wow. Yeah, you can get second or third degree burn, um, uh, definitely. But a skeleton is not as dangerous as people think it is. Bob said it's more, even though it looks more protected. Uh, when they shoot out, when the athlete shoots out, they can really get like second, third degree burn. Uh, with skeleton, you can let the sled go. And sometimes with the bobsled, the sled can come back and it can be very dangerous with the bobsled. So yes, skeleton looks more dangerous, but it's actually much safer. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> well, Akwasi, you were just so impressive. The fact that you like nearly made the Olympics and then did make the Olympics in three different sports. I mean, it just really speaks to what a tremendous athlete you are and how, how driven you are. And you're also just delightful to chat with. I can see why you sold so many vacuum cleaners. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Lindsay. It was uh, an honor. Uh, yeah. I really wish you the best of luck and yay for 2026. Go get them. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for your time, and I'll be watching more of your shows. Thanks so much to Akwasi for joining us on Food of the Gods. Be sure to follow Akwasi on Instagram at, at AkwasiFrimpong86 and visit his website, www.frimpong.com, where you can view the newly released short film about his life, Black Ice, produced by his sponsor, On Running. 
Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.